0: to transform our schools so that every child thrives. Here's your host, Dr. Berry.
1: Welcome back, Equity Warriors. Thanks for joining me. You know, together, we are out to change the conversation about equity in education. We're about changing the trajectories of the lives of marginalized and oppressed children, not just in the United States, but around the globe. I cannot do this alone and I know you're sharing this message thank you so much for doing that but I have a special ask for you today if you know of a conference or organization or event that needs to hear this message that needs to understand why this is so important at this time in our history with what's going on in our schools in our world get them connected I've put a special email down in the notes for this episode. It's drb at Have them listen to an episode. Give them that email address. Let's get this message out to larger audience. You and I together, we as a community, we can affect change. Let's do this. In a publication by the U.S. Department of Justice, I read, here's the quote, The history of American police strategies cannot be separated from the history of the nation as a whole. Unfortunately, our police and all of our other institutions must contend with many bitter legacies from that larger history. No paradigm and no society can be judged satisfactorily until those legacies have been confronted directly. Hey there, Equity Warriors. Glad you joined me here again today. And yes, I did say that that is a publication by the U.S. Department of Justice, Office of Justice Programs, National Institute of Justice. It's called the Evolving Strategy of Police, a Minority View. So I want to spend some time in the next several episodes talking about policing and, can't use the word justice, let's just call it policing and discipline in our K-12 schools. I am reminded of one night back in 2015 I was watching the news and I saw the video of a young woman, a high school student, being placed in a headlock by a school resource officer, a high school girl, in a headlock by an SRO. She was flipped over her desk. She was slammed onto the floor. She was dragged across a classroom. What on earth, as an educator, as a mom, in watching that video, I thought, what on earth could she have done? That caused all of that. Now, maybe you saw that video. Maybe you remember this. For those of you who don't, her crime, she wouldn't give up her cell phone and she wouldn't leave the classroom. She didn't act out. She wasn't yelling. She wasn't cursing. And thank goodness that someone else in her classroom had the foresight and the guts to record that video or we might never have seen it. Now, yeah, as a classroom teacher, I didn't necessarily want cell phones in my classroom. Of course, cell phones were still like bag phones when I was in my early years of teaching. But beside that, and yes, this young woman was black. And yes, the SRO was white. When we look at how police officers are used in our schools, we find that they are mainly used in schools where there are communities of color. And because of that, it creates this idea that our children of color Have to be controlled by police. They have to be dominated by an authority in order to act properly. Policing in our schools. By 2018, about 58% of our schools had at least one sworn law enforcement officer who was present during the school week. At least one cop in 58% of our schools. But the research overwhelmingly suggest to us that SROs, school resource officers, do not have any positive impact on students' safety and that they may, in fact, make students feel less safe, less safe. My first full year of teaching, I taught seventh grade science. And I remember a boy, two young men in my class, one who ran in, grabbed a scalpel off a workstation and was chasing another one of his peers. Now, I am vertically challenged, let's say. I'm a whopping five feet tall if I stand up straight. Both these boys were bigger than me. The one being chased hid behind me holding on to my jacket or sweater, whatever it was I had on, hiding behind me while the student with the scalpel was reaching around me trying to stab him. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow or another, I summoned up whatever it was that was needed, and I told him, put that down. And he did. I didn't have to call an SRO. I didn't have to call in an administrator. He stopped. He looked at me. He put the scalpel down, and he took his seat. In fact, as far as I can recall, I never reported that incident. I never reported the incident. When I was teaching high school a few years later, uh, U.S. history, all juniors, and I had a student who, and I taught a zero period, which meant it was before the regular school day started, 7, 10 a.m. Why I remember that start time, I don't know. But it was ridiculously early. And those of you who have high school children or teach high school know that 7 o'clock in the morning and high school kids is not a good combination. They're usually still half asleep. But I had this one young man who always came into my classroom early for zero period. And so after a week or so of this, and my classroom was rather remote. In fact, I was the only person in my building that had a zero period. So very often the entire building was vacant, except for me. Now, this was not like a school where there's one giant building, everybody's in it. We had multiple buildings, typically with eight to 10 teachers or so in a building. In any event, I was by myself in a very large building, very early in the morning. And so I asked him one morning, why he, you know, A, where were you the first couple of weeks of school? Because, you know, you weren't here. And why are you always so early? And he told me that he missed the first few weeks of school because he was in jail. I didn't report that. I didn't ask for a uniformed officer to be in my room. In fact, I never even locked my door after that. I developed a relationship with the student. I also remember an essay that same year, in fact, by another student, a high school junior, who was a self-avowed white supremacist. The things that he said that he was going to do to me in that essay, and all the people who looked like me, all of my kind, should have resulted in his arrest. That one I did turn in. Nothing happened. Nothing happened until he beat his mother to a pulp, and then something happened. And another incident where students reported to me that someone had spray painted the N-word at the front of my parking stall. But never in any of those instances did I call the police. Contrast that, and I'm sure those of you who are teachers, many of you have similar stories. And you can think back to the way that you handled those, right? But even before that video, that SRO was referred to as officer slam. What happened to the student? And to the one who was recording, well, the 16-year-old survivor, let's call her, and her Black classmate who recorded the incident, those two girls were arrested, they were sent to juvenile detention, and they were charged with disturbing a school function. What school function? What function was disturbed? Racism? What teacher, because I can't say educator, what person in a classroom needs that type or level of intervention for a student who does nothing more violent than sit in her desk with her phone. My opinion, and my humble opinion, that's someone who doesn't need to be in a classroom. That's someone who doesn't belong in a classroom. And it's definitely someone who should not be in charge of black and brown students. Someone who has very deep, racist, bigoted beliefs, closeted or otherwise, they're there. Now, the National Association of School Resource Officers says that school based policing is the fastest growing area of law enforcement. The fastest growing area of law enforcement is putting cops into our schools? Why? And remember, most of them are going into schools that are filled with children of color. They say, according to the FBI Law Enforcement Bulletin, Volume 6, Volume 75, Issue 8, for those of you who want to check me on it, SRO programs have four main benefits. They say they reduce the workload of patrol officers. Well, yeah, I guess so. Because if you're arresting them before they ever get on the street, nobody's got to look at the street. I'm sorry, excuse me. Number one, they reduce the workload of patrol officers. Number two, I'm sorry, they will laugh at this one. They improve juveniles' perceptions of officers. Three, they create and maintain positive relationships between law enforcement agencies and schools, and four, they enhance the agency's reputation in the community. Really? Really? Like nothing else in life, SRO programs are also not free. The average cost of an officer at a school site is $80,000. That's $80,000 out of the school's budget to pay for a cop to be on site. And the research tells us they do this for two primary reasons. One, They say it's a response to school violence, particularly or specifically publicized mass shootings. And then two, because there's grant funding available to pay for the officer. Those of you who are very interested in this, I would suggest you pick up the report called Assault at Spring Valley, an analysis of police violence against black and Latino students in American schools. It's by the Advancement Project and the Alliance for Educational Justice. And then that report you'll find that black students were subjected to more than 80 percent of incidents of police violence at school at school more than 80 percent but only 17 percent of our students in our k-12 schools in the united states are black 80 percent of the incidents of police violence levied against less than 17 percent of the students at least 60 percent of police assaults on students result in serious injury to students that means broken bones Concussion and hospitalization. They are hurting our children. 24 cases of sexual assault on students and five student deaths that are cited in that report as a result of the use of police force in school. 24 cases of sexual assault. I'm saying this again. Five student deaths. Research tells us that black girls are four times more likely than their white peers to be arrested. Black girls are three times more likely to be referred to police. And they are twice as likely to be physically restrained compared to their white peers for the same incidents. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. And I can tell you, they sure as hell don't stop school shootings. Remember Marjorie Stoneman Douglas? Remember the Uvalde students? Both those incidents, there were SROs on campus. They did nothing while our children died. Since 1999, in 197 incidences of gun violence at schools, SROs successfully intervened. Are you ready for this number? 197 instances of gun violence. They successfully intervened three times three out of 197 at the cost of $80,000 per officer per school per year. That's grant funding, But very often grant funding, especially if it comes from the federal government, means taxpayer funding. When we look at all the schools that experienced a school shooting between 1999 and 2018, the numbers of injuries and deaths was actually about two and a half times higher in those schools that had an SRO. Two and a half times higher number of injuries and deaths where there was an SRO at a school that had a school shooting. I read those numbers and I thought... So what the hell do they do? Now, I had an SRO in my schools. I can't tell you what they did, but this is what they say they do. 77% of SROs report that they arrested a student simply to calm them down. They arrested a child to calm them down. 55% reported that they arrested students for minor offenses because the teacher wanted the child to be arrested. And the majority of these school-based arrests, they aren't for violent crimes. They're for things like disruptive behavior. And for our children who are undocumented, if they are in contact with an SRO at a school, it means at risk of detention or deportation. On top of all of that, we have to consider how having SROs interferes with student academic success. If a child is arrested, it doubles their risk of dropping out. When police are present on our campuses, the focus shifts from learning and academics to criminalizing students and over disciplining students. Research was done; we found that that SROs reduce students' feeling of school connectedness. It's not a place they want to be, where they're over policed or policed at all, and the more contact students have with police, trauma and anxiety symptoms increase, and it doesn't matter where the contact occurs. It is harmful to a child's development and learning, and that means it decreases their academic achievement. So some of you might wonder, what happened to officer slam? Well, the school district did fire the officer, but two years later, An investigation by the Justice Department said that there was insufficient evidence to pursue federal charges. There was a video, folks. In the 10% of cases where officers actually face consequences for assaulting students, they're being fired or they're being criminally charged. It's rare. We see that out in the rest of the world. It's no different in our schools. They usually get an internal review, a little slap on the hand, or they may be reassigned to another school. We have an education system in this country where there are more sworn law enforcement officers than social workers on our campuses. In multiple states, they employ two to three times more cops than social workers. There's something wrong with that formula. We have a little less than 50 million students in our public schools. 1.7 million are students that are in schools With no counselors, but they have police. So 3.4% of our students have no counselors, but they have cops. 6% of our students, 3 million of them, have police, but no nurse. 12% of them have police, but no school psychologist. And 20%, one-fifth of our students, have cops, but no social workers. We have to remove police from our schools. We have to divest from SRO programs. It's not doing anything for our children. This should be enshrined in policy at the school district level, at the state level, and ultimately at the federal level. Until that part happens, policy should be very specific about how police are allowed on school grounds and what they do. We have to safeguard our children's constitutional and human rights at a minimum, absolute minimum. Schools should have support staff that meets evidence-based professional to student ratios. So what is the ratio we should have based on the school counselors association? How many students per counselor? Because I haven't seen any research that says, that there's a certain ratio of students to cops we should have, but I have seen it for students to counselors, students to school nurses, students to social workers. And we all know 20 to 1 is ideal for classroom, right? For teaching. We have to start investing in alternative approaches to safety and to discipline that's rooted in anti-racist, anti-oppressive, and liberatory knowledge and values restorative justice, transformative justice, trauma-sensitive or trauma-informed schooling. And this is a process. It's not like we can turn it all over tomorrow, right? It's got to be planned carefully, strategically, but get it done. Remove the SROs. Yes, absolutely. But while you're doing that, that $80,000 you're paying for per officer, bring in qualified, highly trained personnel, counselors, social workers, psychologists, nurses, nurses, People who can provide services to our children, not put them in cuffs and ruin the rest of their lives. Budgets for school districts are being written right now. They're being written right now. So now is the time that this has to happen. This is when you need to start going to your school boards. This is when you need to stand up and start talking and continue to join me every week. I'm going to do multiple episodes on policing. Join me every week. Send me your questions, topics, and requests to AskDrBerry.com, and I'll answer those questions and bring you experts to help address those topics. Don't worry about the things you cannot change. Change the things you can no longer accept. I'll see you next time.
0: That's it for today's episode of the 3E Podcast. Head over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes Will win a chance in a grand prize drawing to win a $25,000 value private VIP day with Dr. Barry herself. Be sure to head over to 3epodcast.com and pick up a free copy of Dr. Barry's gift. Then join us on the next episode. Welcome
1: back, Deputy Warriors. Thanks for joining me. You know, together, We are out to change the conversation about equity in education. We're about changing the trajectories of the lives of marginalized and oppressed children, not just in the United States, but around the globe. I cannot do this alone. And I know you're sharing this message. Thank you so much for doing that. But I have a special ask for you today. If you know of a conference or organization or event that needs to hear this message, that needs to understand why this is so important at this time in our history, with what's going on in our schools, in our world, get them connected. I've put a special email down in the notes for this episode. It's drb at almitraberry.com. Have them listen to an episode. Give them that email address. Let's get this message out to larger audience. You and I together, we as a community, we can affect change. Let's do this.